good morning everyone. It's good to, to see everybody today. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jacob Yarbrough and I serve here as one of the elders at Calvary Bible Church. And this morning I'll be reading from the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 6 through 15. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, the 1995 revision. And if you have uh, a copy of God's Word with you, uh, please follow along. Um, Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And may God bless the reading of his word. Verse 13. I just want to just look at the text with me. You track with me? Just look at the scripture. Uh, I, I'm not going to read it all again, but I do want to just highlight the last three verses in 13 through 15. Just look at the scripture. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. Amen together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. How did he make us alive? Having forgiven all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way. Having nailed it to the cross, And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And all God's people say, that's awesome. Uh, Well, good morning, friends. Thank you for being here. Uh, Today, we are in our sixth week of this book, walking verse verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And today, we will try to make it through verse 6 through 15 of chapter 2 of Colossians. And there are a lot of uh, beautiful truths in that, beautiful details about who we are, about what Christ has done for us. But the question I have before we get into too much is, what is Paul really getting at? You know, what are the primary commands? There's actually two of them in the passage we just read. What are the two primary commands of the passage? What is Paul's main idea? But allow me to begin with a question. I like to begin with questions a lot of times. 
So I'll just ask, hey, one that hope some of us probably have done before. How many of you today have ever been on a hike before? Have you ever been on a hike before? Okay, good. So what are the two most important things to do when you go on a hike? You must walk on the path, right? Track with me. How many of you ever tried to bushwhack before and get lost? Yeah, it doesn't end up <laughs> typically pretty well. Okay, you must walk on the path, and what else must you do? You must watch out. We have rattlesnakes, rocks in the path, branches to whack you in the face, spider webs to get on your face. Anybody else run into a spider web on a path? It's quite disgusting. Okay. But as a kid, as a Byron Bradshaw as a kid, I thought it was torture to have to go out outdoors from the car to the building. I thought that that was just torture. Um, but then I married Laurel, and it is impossible to be married to a Drake and not like the outdoors. Um, so with my in-laws, we've done some pretty sketchy hikes, to be quite frank. In Colorado, there's a lot of sketchy hikes in Colorado. Um, but in Colorado, we were in a cabin in Estes Park, and we were in the cabin just hanging out one day, and we pick up this journal. I don't know if you've ever seen those cabin journals before, but people kind of leave a testimony of what they did there. You know, you track with me. So we open up this cabin journal and begin to read the story, the testimony of somebody else who rented the cabin. And they talked about how they met this guy. I'll just call him Bill for whatever reason. Okay. So they met this guy named Bill on this hike, and they got to know him. And then all of a sudden, Bill slipped on a piece of ice and fell to his death, okay, okay, and so that was like literally in the cabin journal, we're reading this, and my in-laws decided the next day to go hike that very trail, Uh, I made it, I made it up and back, okay, that just gives you a taste of my in-laws, but if you also know something about my personality, I'm a bit accident prone, I'm a little bit of a hot disaster. That's why I nicknamed my four-year-old Hot Disaster. She's my doppelganger. She runs with her head forward, and she just runs into everything. Um, But a few years ago, I'll just tell you a quick story. My father-in-law, Dustin, you all, I'm sure many of you remember him. My father-in-law, my three brother-in-laws, and myself decided to hike Mount Leconte. Anybody ever hike Mount Leconte in the Smokies? It's a great hike. Okay, it is wonderful. If you want to you know, wear yourself out. It's like 13 miles round trip, about a mile up in elevation and a mile back down. But it is an awesome hike. Well, there was only one problem with that hike that day. Uh, well, I guess two. Number one, I remember we ate Taco Bell for lunch that day. Bad idea. Bean burritos and 13 miles don't go well together. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> problem number one is I ate Taco Bell for lunch. But problem number two is... Well, we started the hike after lunch. Yeah. So 13 miles, round trip, a mile up in elevation, a mile back down, and we started that hike, probably didn't get on the trail until at least 1 or 2 p.m. Not a good idea. I don't advocate for this idea. So this is not, this is not a helpful suggestion. Okay. So we start out on this hike. Well, there's the problem we start out late in the day. So what did we decide to do? My in-laws decided to literally run up the mountain and then literally run down the mountain. So we're sitting there, starting late in the day, we're huffing and puffing all the way up the mountain, and then all the way back down. But, you know, I've already said that I'm a little bit accident prone, and one of my nicknames my wife likes to give me is Gangle Ankle. And I have, my ankles are my kryptonite, I'll just say it that way. So we're literally, literally jogging down Mount LeConte. 
and we're in a straight file line, and we're sitting there running along the path. And as my father-in-law says, the, literally the only rock in the path I decide to step on, and then my ankle goes, okay, and then I just down the trail and crash and burn. And um, I think my brother-in-law has completely abandoned me on the trail because I was, my ankle was the size of a watermelon, okay? And I'm sitting there, I'm left to the grizzly bears, if they have any, in the Smokies, you know, walking down this path with a watermelon for an ankle. But the two most important things on hiking is to walk on the path and to watch out for spider webs, branches to whack you in the face, pebbles in the path, and all the sorts. The two most important things is to walk on the path and to watch out. The Christian life really is no different that as we walk on the path of the Christian life, as we walk in Christ, as we attempt to live out our life in pursuit of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, we must do two things. We must walk in the path. We must walk according to Christ. And if you're human like me, what is the tendency to happen through seasons of our life? We veer off course right and left. We try to do things outside of the will of God, temptation, sins. We try to walk off the path. But then we also must watch out. We must watch out for the things in the Christian life that will whack us in the face as we live, that will slow us down, that will trip us up, the questions, the concerns, the doubts of the culture. What are some things that we should look out for in our Christian life? And what marks the way we should walk in Christ? Well, that is Paul's quest today. We see two main commands in Colossians chapter 6, excuse me, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 15. We see two commands. And what I love about Paul, if you're familiar with Paul, is he then explains himself. He gives us a command in verse 6 and gives us another command in verse 8, and then he unpacks it for us. But the problem with Paul is what? He's confusing, right? He's so deep and methodical and intelligent that he makes me feel dumb, okay, quite frankly. But the question we're answering today is this. In the midst of a world pushing against truth, how should we then live in it or How should we live out our faith in a world that pushes against the truth that we believe? Because if you think about it, if you've been here for any length of time, then you know the church of Colossians. Because if any church in in the New Testament would never drift away from truth, it would be this church in Colossae. Because here, this church in Colossae, how does Paul describe this church in chapter 1, verse 3, through chapter 1, verse 12? He really describes them in three different pieces. He says that you love in the Spirit, that you, that you, um, excuse me, that you hope in the gospel, that you walk by faith, that these are the three main characteristics that epitomize the church in Colossae. And then, but something's going on because their pastor, Epaphras, I've said this many times, gets up, leaves modern day Turkey, goes around the Aegean Sea, and then goes to Rome to consult with his, his pastor, his mentor named Paul. So Epaphras is completely worried about his church and his church is healthy and it's growing. What is going on? That the church in Colossae is veering away from the gospel hope that they have heard because of persuasive argument, as we saw in chapter 2, verse 5. So that's where Paul begins today. In chapter 2, verse 6, Paul gives us a first command, and then he explains what it is to walk, and then he gives us a second command in verse 8, and he explains what to look out for. 
So if you have your text in front of you, look at chapter 2, verse 6. Now, some scholars, before we get in, some scholars believe chapter 2, verse 6 is the real beginning of this letter. Now, I find that weird because there's a chapter before it. But what they're saying is, is that this is really where Paul's message to the church in Colossae begins. So chapter 1, if you've been here, chapter 1, verse 1 through 2 is the introduction. He introduces the author, the occasion variety, and the audience. And then chapter 1, verse 3 through chapter 2, verse 5 is the doctrine section of this book. And if you know anything about Pauline literature, that he begins typically with doctrine and then he ends the books with application. Romans chapter 1 through 11 is doctrine, 12 through 16 is the application, and it's really no different here. So chapter 1, 1 through 2 is the introduction, chapter 1, 3 through 2, 5 is the doctrinal section, and where we pick up today begins the application section in verse 6 of chapter 2, and we would say that chapter 2, verse 6 is the turning point of the book. This is the hinge that changes the emphasis of this book, and in a sense, as I was reading um, through this passage again and again and again, uh, I got the impression that Paul is saying, okay, tag your it. Here's what you know. Here's what you've been taught by your pastor, your pastor. Here is the truth. Now, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. In the midst of a world pushing against the truth, how do we live out our faith? If you have your notes, the first blank is to walk in Christ or to walk in him. If you notice again in verse 6, it says this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so then walk in him. The very first command in the entire book of Colossians is that word walk. It is the Greek word peripateo, okay, TMI. It is a metaphor. Paul uses the term walking often in the New Testament to describe living something out. So what is Paul saying? Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so then walk in him or so then live him out. Some scholars say this, Colossians 2, 6, and 7 summarizes the entire letter as it combines the theochristological and soteriological themes. You notice in your text, verse 6, it says, therefore. If you ever, let me just give you a hint for hermeneutics and exegesis in the original language. If you're ever reading Paul and you come across a therefore, just circle that thing, okay? Highlight it, mark it, you know, point to it, draw arrows to it, because Paul often uses therefores in very strategic ways. Um, as my mentor would say, therefore is what? Therefore a reason. What is a therefore in verse 6, quite frankly, doing? Therefore, because of what you have been just told, because of the gospel, because you have been reconciled to Christ, because of all these things. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Really, if you think about it, this whole first phrase describes chapter 1. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Messiah, we talked about that, is described in chapter 1. Jesus and then the Lord. Jesus is Lord over what? All creation, his new creation or recreation, all of reconciliation. Therefore, as you have received chapter 1, so then walk in him. Tag your it. The word walk, as I said, is a metaphor representing the image of the way of life for those in Christ Jesus. 
Paul uses the word walk often in the New Testament. I'll kind of give you some examples of how he uses it. Number one, Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 to describe a life of faith. Number two, of walking by the Spirit or living out by the Spirit. Number three, of walking not in worldliness, living not in the worldliness. Number four, a life of loving others. And number five, a life of good works. So, okay. What does it mean to walk in Christ? Well, a few things. It means to be led by the Spirit. It means not to live according to the world. It means a life of faith, a life of loving others, a life of good works. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, because you were qualified, rescued, and transferred, to the kingdom of his beloved son, because we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, because Jesus Christ is Lord over all creation, Lord over our lives, and he is the minister and he is the uh, vehicle of reconciliation because of all these things, because of what we have just been told, we should then live it out. Let's go home. That's the message of Colossians. There you go. That's it. This is it. This is the book of Colossians in a nutshell. That's it. So walk in him. But what does it mean to walk in him? You tracking with me? That makes no sense. I mean, it's a metaphor, right? Well, Paul doesn't do me any favors, quite frankly, because he uses one metaphor in verse 6 of walking, and then he uses a completely different metaphor in verse 7 of trees and growing. And that's okay, because Paul can do that. The Word of God can change metaphors. It's perfectly fine. Um, But what does it mean to walk in Christ? Number one, it says, having been firmly rooted. If you have your notes, it means to be rooted in the truth. What truth? Referring to chapter one again. So what does it mean to walk in Christ? To be firmly rooted. How do we do that? Then number two, and now being built up in him. Now being built up in him. Number two, it means to be edified. Built up. So we are to be rooted in the truth, we are to be built up, and let me just ask the question, there are multiple ways to interpret this particular phrase, but I take it to mean edified by one another. That we are to be rooted in the truth, built up by other Christians, encouraged, what does it say in Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So walking in Christ, how do we do that? We are rooted in the truth. We are edified or built up by one another. Number three, we are mature and established in your faith. The word established in the original language is the Greek word babeo, which means to be steadfast or strengthened. It means to be established or it means to be confirmed. I think what Paul is saying, okay, guys, you know, you know the truth, so walk in it, live it out. How do you do that? You're rooted in the truth, you're built up by one another, and you show maturity. You bear fruit. Think about a tree. That's the life cycle of a tree. It becomes rooted from a seed into the ground. It grows. Then as it matures, it bears fruit. So I believe that's what Paul is talking about. Established in your faith, but then... Notice the last phrase. And just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. How are we to walk in Christ? We are to walk in Christ rooted, edified, mature, and joyful. Overflowing with 
gratitude. We don't, um, we don't really think about this one a lot, but it's a theme in the New Testament. How many of you um, have ever met a grumpy Christian before? Track it with me. All right, the, the ones that would give Ebenezer Scrooge a run for their money. Okay. If, but why, let me ask the question, why is this critical to walking in Christ? Why is it critical to living a life according to what Christ has given to us? I mean, can, a, can someone who is grumpy truly love people? <laughs> How many of you have ever been uh, loved on by an Ebenezer Scrooge? Okay, it's like being loved on by a cactus. Okay, oh yeah, feel warm. Ow, ow, ow. Okay, these are those people who just give gifts. That's how they express their. Never mind. Okay, but uh, but why else is it important to? In order to walk in Christ, you must be overflowing with gratitude. Well, a bitter heart is more easily deceived than a joyful one. A joyful heart is one that is over, a joyful heart overflowing with gratitude is one that is rooted in the truth. They understand and they meditate and they understand and they see what Christ has done. It is one that is edified and one that is mature. A joyful Christian heart is one that thinks about what Christ has done, and a joyful heart is able to love others as Christ has commanded. So, what is the process of walking in Christ? It is rooted in the truth. Edified by one another, mature, bearing fruit, and overflowing with gratitude. But let me just ask the very important, very practical question is, okay, if we are to walk in Christ, and part of that is overflowing, I love that image, bubbling over with gratitude, then how can we be grateful how can we constantly, on a daily basis, be overflowing with gratitude? Um, one is only grateful when the act is fresh. One is only grateful when the act is fresh. Let me give you an illustration of that. I would imagine most of us are grateful on Christmas morning. You track with me? All right? Like, we open presents, and we're very happy, or what our husband or wife gave us um but how long does that last like 24 hours right okay at least with my kids oh great princess castle (laughs) okay and they throw it aside and i'm like i spent a week putting that together okay and uh, i mean one is only grateful really when the act is fresh if you want to rejoice in the lord if you want to overflow with gratitude, then his act for you must be fresh in your mind. In other words, what? That we, me included, we should think about what Christ has done for us all the time. You track with me? I mean, look at Colossians chapter 1, 20 through 22. I, I, I love communion Sundays because I get to read a passage of scripture that reminds me of the gospel. And one of the things I love about Pauline literature is that uh, he talks about the gospel all the time. And it never grows old. Meditating on what Christ has done is the way we overflow with gratitude. Verse 20 of chapter 1, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you 
were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, so that in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Dude, amen, hallelujah, somebody. Thank you. Amen. We are only grateful when the act is fresh. So if you want to overflow with gratitude, you must keep fresh what Christ has done for you on the cross. In the midst of a world pushing against the truth, how do we walk in Christ? Rooted, edified, mature, and joyful. But it's one thing to start out on the path to Christianity, but it's a whole other thing to stay the course. Um, If you've ever done a hike, then you know that it's not always easy to see the things that will harm you or things that will gross you out like a spider web to the face. Um, And it's not easy to stay the path. Can I? What? Let me just say something really quick. Um, One of the things I love about this church in particular is we're not huge, we're not massive, but one of the things I love about this church in particular is that we have 94-year-olds all the way down to six-month-olds. And one of the things I appreciate most about the older generation here is that they have been steadfast. I look at their lives and I say, man, you know, if they can endure all of this, then I can too. If they can overcome this and this and this and this and this, then I can too. Let me just speak to the older saints in the room. You, just me personally, you are an inspiration to me of how to live a life that pleases God and how to endure. Because I've known so many people that start on the Christian life and that completely go, Anybody else track it? I mean, I see it all the time, especially my age, especially when I was in my 20s. These people would seem like redwood trees. They'd be this massive spiritual icon, and then the wind of life would just topple them over. But how do we stay the course? We walk, and then verse 8, we watch out. What do we look out for? Verse 8, see to it. Circle that. It's the second command in the book. Verse 6 is the first one. Verse 8 is the second one. See to it. Those three words in the original language are only one. It is the Greek word blepo, which means to beware or to watch out for. To see to it that no one, notice that, no one, not one person among you, takes you captive, imprisoned, through the philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. In the midst of a world pushing against the truth, how are we to walk in Christ? We are to walk in him, and we are to watch out for anything contrary to the truth. If you notice again in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. What have we talked about this far in the book of Colossians? That there's this metaphor undergirding kind of the whole book of this image of, of imprisonment, of slavery, and the inability to escape of yourself. Verse 13 really began that. You have been rescued from the domain of darkness, from being imprisoned to the domain of darkness. And then again here, he said to them, okay, wait a second. You're already set free. You're already under new kingship. So don't go back. Don't be captive. To the philosophy and empty deceits of the world. But see to it that you are not captivated. Why? Because we are now saints of light, God's beloved children. We are reconciled to the Father 
But notice with me, where does the empty deceit and philosophy come from? So see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than, I want you to notice this last phrase right here, rather than according to Christ. If you, this last phrase, we'll talk about this more in a minute, this last phrase is expanded in verses 9 and 10. He says this phrase and then he expands what that means. But then notice, according to the traditions of men, according to elementary principles of the world. What is he saying? What are the two sources of deception and empty, empty deception and philosophy? Number one, the traditions of men. Man-made creations, man-made rationale, man-made problems. We should not be surprised. Let me just back up. The book of Ecclesiastes says that there is nothing new under the sun. The world, the tradition of men, fallen mankind has been trying to explain away God since the very beginning of time. And what was the original temptation? That you can be what? Like God. Since the beginning of time, mankind has been trying to justify a world without being obedient to God. What does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3? That the things of God are foolishness to men. One of the sources of empty deception and philosophy is the, are the traditions of men. And number two, it says, according to the elementary principles of the world. Most scholars believe that this talks about the source of the enemy, the principalities and the power of the air, right? Satan and his minions, the dark side. Okay, sorry for using Star Wars here. Okay, those are the two sources of empty deception and philosophy. So be careful that the thoughts and the ways of the world do not captivate your mind. Um, how many of you have ever seen a Christian be captivated by an idea of the world that is counter to the Scripture? You're tracking with me? How many of you have ever seen a Christian in verse 8 be captivated by something that is counter to the Bible? I see it all the time. Or someone, it's even better, someone who is so convinced that what the world believes, that they try to justify it biblically. You track it with me? Have you ever seen that before? I mean, they, 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 they try. It doesn't work out too well. Um, I, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that there is a new form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the church heresy that's bubbling up in the church of Colossae. I believe it's just the beginning of it, which is why scholars have arm wrestling matches over it, if it's the true heresy at the root. But I believe there's a new form of Gnosticism in churches today. It is the, it is the Gnosticism of selective truth. That we select in churches today what verses we want to preach and to live out and what verses to ignore. And I see it all the time on Facebook. This is what people say. I, hear, I see it every stinking day of seminary grads I graduated with. Since Jesus was all about love and acceptance, and since Jesus overlooked sin, then we can too. Let me repeat that. Since Jesus was all about love and acceptance, and since he overlooked sin, we can too. Two. Um, I, I, 
don't know if they read the same Bible I do. Because the Bible that I read is that Jesus died for sin to overcome it because he hated it that much. He went and died and paid for it in full. Jesus didn't overlook sin. What will he do at the end of all time? He will stand on the great white throne of judgment and what? Judge us for the mistakes we made. Friends, Jesus does not overlook sin. That is a complete hogwash, an empty deception and philosophy that we see in our culture today. Now, Jesus is all about love and acceptance. Therefore, you can do whatever you want. Uh-uh. 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 He died on the cross for that. Man. Um, I'm going to speak. I think Christians today are captivated by empty deception and the philosophies of the world according to the traditions of men and according to the elementary principles of the world. I think Christians in churches all around the world are, are enslaved, are captive to that. And can I just speak real quick? I think the majority of us love our scripture and we, we try to live on the scripture and not beside it. We try to walk in Christ. But I believe that there are some people in this room that I'm going to offend. Because you are so convinced that the culture is correct. What are some things, what are some traditions of men in empty deception brought on to us by the elementary, elementary principles of the world? What are some common beliefs in churches today that counter the scripture that we just widely accept? Well, number one, I'm going to say is Darwinian evolution. If I made you mad, I'm sorry. But there is one thing that's absolutely necessary for Darwinian evolution to work. It's called death. And before the fall, there was no death. A Darwinian evolution in the scripture are oil and water. Number two, what are some other ideas in the culture today that have captivated modern Christianity? Number two, that something came from nothing. That there are many ways to heaven. That God allows good people into heaven, even people who believe in other religions. Gender identity, roles of men and women, marriage between man and woman. These are all questions of the culture that we just naturally adopt because we are so surrounded by the values of the world. You tracking with me on this? That we, believe, we are captive We are so captive by the empty philosophy and empty deceptions of the world that we will defend a lie as Christians. Let me just speak. Uh, There are mainline denominations right now in America that are absolutely imploding because of this right here. They're so captive to the ways of the world. I mean, and, and to be honest with you, I'm afraid that some of you probably won't come back again. Because I've named some deception that we believe that you're convinced is true, but is antithetical to Scripture. Friends, listen to me. We stand on the truth. We don't stand beside it. We don't like some and like, don't like others. We stand on the Scripture and what it says. But let me say something else, too. We don't add things to the Bible, things that the Bible doesn't say. Like, um, Christians can't have a beer. 
Okay? Sorry, it doesn't say that. Actually, Jesus drank wine in the upper room. I'm just saying. Okay. Right? Like, or that Christians can't go to movies. Alright? But we also should not do the opposite. We shouldn't add to scripture, but we also shouldn't take it away. Well, God loves you, therefore, you can do what you want. We stand on the truth. We walk on the path. We have to watch out for the philosophy and empty deception that happens, that trickles into our mind according to the traditions of men and according to the principalities of the air. Look again at verse 8. According to the traditions of men, according to elementary principles of the world, Rather than according to Christ. I think what Paul does here, he gives his first command, that is the hinge of the whole book. And then verse 8, he gives us his second, so walk in Christ, watch out for. And then what he does is he expands rather than according to Christ. He takes this one phrase and expands it to verse 9. So watch out for anything contrary to the truth of. The question we have always is, okay, um, what does he want us to look out for? Verse 9, number 1. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. If you have your notes, the next blank is Christ. Watch out for anything contrary to the truth of Christ. What is he talking about here? That Jesus is fully God and fully man. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus was fully human and fully man. That this is a marker of truth. And we try to make Christianity politically correct and try to dumb down the, especially the, the deity of Jesus. But hey man, if you need any further proof that Jesus was fully God and fully man, hey, check it out. But here's the thing is too, is we, I'll get back to that in just a second. Verse 10, number two, and in him you have been made, you have been made complete. And he is head over all rule and authority. Watch out for anything contrary to the truth of Christ. And number two, our status in Christ. In him, we are complete. And number two, and he is the head over all rule and authority. He is our Lord and our master, and he is complete. Number three, verse 11. And in him, you were also circumcised. With the circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh, but the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised up with him through faith, and the working of God who raised him from the dead. Number three, so watch out for anything contrary to the truth of Christ, our status with Christ, and the church. As circumcision is a symbolic entrance into the covenant nation of God, so baptism is a symbolic entrance of God's covenant people of God. As Jason would say, God is seeking a people for God's own possession. In other words, this, listen, okay. What are we to look out for? Anybody that finds the church should be exclusive. The church is meant for all people, Gentile and Jews. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Verse 13. The church. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together. Wait. He made you alive together with him. Can all of you God's people say amen? Having forgiven us, how did he make us alive? 
having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, I'm going to be honest, man. We could spend about a month just on those three verses, and I'm just going to do a complete flyby, and I am uh, grieved in my soul in many ways. But number four, if you have your notes, watch out for anything contrary to the truth of. So these are the spider webs and the sticks and the pebbles we should look out for. Anything contrary to the truth of Christ, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, guess what? That makes no sense, and that is okay. I heard somebody say, a preacher say, that we should be comfortable with being uncomfortable, that there are certain things in the Christian life we will never fully understand. And that's okay. Because if my finite pea brain can fully understand an infinite God, then the God that I worship isn't God. Because God, as I understand in the scripture, is infinite. He is beyond comprehension. So if I understand every single doc, doctrine, full deity, full humanity of Christ, the Trinity, all this kind of stuff, if I fully understand that completely, then, he, then he's God. Or he also, I'm like a superhero brain, okay? That's just the way things are. Watch out for anything contrary to Christ, our status with Christ, our church, the church, and our changed identity. Number four is our changed identity. We are, have been made alive together with him. I'm going to say another controversial thing today. Um, it, it, anybody who believes in Jesus Christ and is not changed did not believe in Jesus Christ. You track with me? That if you come to Christ, you must change. You are made alive according to the scripture. You are adopted. You have the spirit of God inside of you. I think that's one of the reasons why when people come to Christ, it's such an emotional experience. It's because so much changes at that exact moment in time. He made you alive. We have this misconception that if I come forward or if I pray a little prayer, I can go right back to the same way I was. That's, that's foolhardy. That's not what the scripture teaches. What the scripture teaches is that I am born again. That when I come to Christ, I have living water inside of me. I am I am made new. I am made alive. I mean, illustration. How many of you have ever washed a dirty shirt and then you get it out of the washer and it's still dirty? Track on me? Do you think it's clean? Or do you wear it with a big stain on the front? No, you wash it again. That's an illustration of the Christian life. We are made new. We are made alive. When we have been washed in the blood of Christ, we are changed. We are new. We will struggle with the things of the world, temptations, but we have to be changed. How are we made alive? All of our sin was forgiven. Our debt of sin is canceled. The cross paid for our sin in full because Christ triumphed over all. Christ bruised his heel on the head of the serpent, and the serpent has been defeated. And all those in the past that stood against Christ have been triumphed over. The reason we are alive in Christ is because our sin is forgiven, our debt is canceled, that Christ paid for it in full, and Christ triumphed over all. Amen. Hallelujah. In the midst of a world pushing against the truth, how do we live out our faith? Number one, we walk in Christ, rooted 
edified, mature, and joyful. Number two, we watch out for anything contrary to the truth of Christ, our status in Christ, that we are complete in him, anything counter to the church, and then number four, any, anything counter to our changed identity in Christ. Um, the question I have now is, is this one. I ran through those last verses, and I apologize. Um, but so what? You know, I, I fully expect um, some people not to return <laughs> after a sermon like today because we've been so deceived uh, by the world and the traditions of men. Um, my question is, is, is this. Um, number, it's really based on the second point. What falsehoods do you believe? What falsehoods do you believe? We all have them, including the preacher up here who's sweating, sweating to death. We all have them. We all have little insecurities that convince us of falsehood in life. For example, I'll give you mine. Am I really good enough? That's a lie. He has made me, what, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Now, question number one, is there a falsehood that you believe about the person of Christ? Is there a falsehood that you believe about the person of Christ? Now, most of us here in this room probably believe that he is fully God and fully man. But do we really believe that Jesus hates all sin? That he died for all of it? He didn't die for some of it. He died for all of it. It's not some sin he looks over because it's convenient or because the culture values that. He hated sin so much he died on the cross. Do you believe a falsehood about Christ? Number two, do you believe a falsehood about your completeness in Christ? That you stand before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. You are complete in him. Verse 9. Do you really believe that there's nothing you can do to earn his favor? Are you trying to be good enough to get to God? Number three, do you believe any falsehoods about the church? Do you believe any falsehoods about the church that some aren't worthy of being in this room? The gospel is for all men, Jew and Gentile. African, Latino, American, European, the list goes on and on. Rich, poor, you know, full head of hair and bald, everybody, okay? Um, Praise the Lord, it's for me too, okay. Um, Do you believe any falsehoods about the church? Can I just speak a little bit? Um, I do this, that, I don't really say this, but I kind of do it, that we, we live our life in kind of passivity about Christianity. And, and this is what I'm, I'm guilty of this, that we are more afraid of sharing our faith than afraid of someone burning in hell. Can I say that one again? This is, this is like smacking me in the face right now. 
that we are more afraid of sharing our faith than afraid of someone burning in hell. <laughs> okay? That's the church. The church is God's people. We are sometimes so afraid of hurting somebody else's feelings that we don't share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the church is for all people. Number four, do you believe a falsehood about your changed identity in Christ? That you were made alive. In the midst of a world pushing against the truth, how do we live out our faith? We walk in Christ. We live in him. How? Rooted in truth, edified by one another, mature in our faith, bearing the fruit of love, loving God, loving us, making disciples, and we overflow with gratitude and joy. And then number two, we should watch out for anything contrary to the truth of Christ, his full identity and full deity and full humanity, anything contrary to our status in Christ, anything contrary to the church and our changed identity in Christ. And then here's the point. Tag your it. Tag your it. That's what Paul's doing in chapter 2, verse 6. Take what you have received in Christ Jesus the Lord and now live it out. Tag your it. Let us watch out and let us walk in him. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning and just the truth of your word. Um, I, you know, Lord, I am concerned, quite frankly, not really about my church in particular, um, because I do have a lot of sound believers in here. Um, but the church as a whole, and we see denominations imploding because they have been deceived. And quite frankly, Lord, I believe in all of our lives, including my own, that there are ways that we have just been deceived to the truth. And Lord, give us the humility to receive the truth and to change our perspective, and including my own. Father, I pray for those that do not know you as Savior, Lord, that they would today feel welcomed and warmly greeted, that they would see that we love one another, and I pray that we would stand united hand in hand as the body of Christ here at Calvary. And I pray for those that don't know you as Savior, that haven't been born again, that haven't been changed, that you would lift up the blinders on their eyes and that they would see and behold the truth of the Son of God and they would receive Jesus Christ as Lord of their life by faith. And that's what I pray this morning, that you would open the eyes of the blind. And thank you for today. Thank you for this church and the dedication we have to the truth. In Jesus' name.